Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. We hope you didn't miss us too much. The whole week wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche is back, and we're ready to unpack some major headlines to help you make sense of it all. Joining us this week is financial journalist Ray Matlaka to help us dissect everything from elections to what's been happening at this past week's World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos. Then we ask the question, is it too late for Transnet? And promises, promises, promises. As election season kicks off, Ray tells us what he wants to see and hear from SA's politicians. That and more, so let's get into it. Welcome back to the whole week wrap, Ray. How has 2024 been treating you thus far? Well, so far, so good. In the first early days of 2024, I feel like we are back in the newsroom and the news cycle is gaining a lot of momentum. Ooh, the calendar is quite busy this year, and this is going to be one of those years that really demands a lot from us, especially as media professionals. Absolutely. So we're only a few weeks into the new year and there's already a lot that's happened. Obviously, we can't have our first rap discussion of the year without first acknowledging the historic International Court of Justice genocide case that took place two weeks ago. And I must say that the South African legal team did a phenomenal job of stating its case. I mean, it was concise. It was almost choreographed. It was just beautiful to watch. The ICJ has until 5 February to announce provisional, and I want to emphasize provisional measures to reduce the suffering of the people of Gaza. And I also emphasize provisional because the court's February decision will not mean an end to the war. It will simply ensure Palestinians are granted very basics, such as access to healthcare, water, food, aid, and waste management. Now, the big question here is, will the court order an immediate ceasefire? I think that's the one that everyone is watching, and that's certainly less certain. From an economic standpoint, South Africa's decision to take Israel to the ICJ could also have some implications for us, because I heard rumblings that some investors have said they're considering withdrawing due to SA's stance and taking this matter to the ICJ. Your opinion, could this stance impact our relations with major global leaders? Like you, Lazan, I, I was following this case quite closely, and I do believe that South Africa is the right country to bring this case at the International Court of Justice because of South Africa overcoming its history of apartheid. But will this case scupper investments into South Africa? I don't think so. The argument is that a lot of countries that trade with South Africa have been upset by South Africa bringing this case to the ICJ. One of those countries apparently is the U.S., And of Mm. course, we know that the U.S. is a big trading partner with South Africa. The U.S. has even criticized South Africa for bringing a genocide case at the ICJ. The U.S. claims that it has not seen acts that constitute a genocide. This is happening, by the way, at a time when 
South Africa and other African countries are renegotiating the terms of the African Growth and Opportunities Act, which mm. is known as AGOA. We know that in principle, this trade agreement that gives African countries unfettered access into the U.S. economy is under review. And in principle, the U.S. has agreed to extend this agreement for another 10 years. But Congress still has to ratify and confirm this extension. Now, may South Africa's case potentially impact this agreement from being re- reviewed? I don't think so. The crisis in the Middle East and Ukraine, trade routes under pressure, artificial intelligence, a global economy teetering on the edge, and climate change. The World Economic Forum's annual meeting last week covered a number of weighty topics. Ray looks at what this year's gathering means for South Africa. This past week, it's been all about the 54th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum that's that's been taking place. I think it's impossible for us to cover all the discussion points of the meeting. But could you take us through some of the major points that you think South Africans specifically need to pay attention to? So this is quite a sought-after event in the economic calendar throughout the year where global leaders and the top 0.1% of the richest people (laughs) basically gather in Switzerland to discuss the global economy. This year, some of the topics that featured quite prominently is how countries can reduce consumer inflation or the cost of living, and how technology and rapid developments into technology, such as artificial intelligence, can improve the quality of life. For South Africa, it's also an opportunity for the country to showcase its investment case and prove to the world why global investors should invest in South Africa. This year was a bit different for South Africa. President Ramaphosa was not there. So Finance Minister Enoch Gorongwana led the PR spin into South Africa Mm. and why South Africa has an investment case. Now, you know, this year, I would argue that it was quite difficult to argue whether South Africa is worthy of investments. Load shedding is still persisting. Uh, The logistics crisis in the hands of Transnet is getting worse. So South Africa is really struggling here to do the the basics of fixing the electricity crisis, fixing the logistics crisis, which is quite important for investors. So I cannot imagine the unenviable position that Gorongwana was in. Another term that kind of popped into my head late last year as I was beginning to kind of prep for our first discussion on Davos was the word permacrisis, which is one that economists and analysts have been throwing around for at least the last two years. It means crises that are no longer temporary. They are essentially here to stay, which is terrifying to think about um, if you put it that way. But now the big question is, how do we deal with these crises going forward? I mean, there's a worsening climate crisis. There's instability in various countries, both politically and otherwise. We see rising inflation, human rights violations. We have war. And and, and then, of course, one big topic that on day two of Davos was the seeming threat of AI. And there was a huge discussion just around AI, and it keeps cropping up in all of their conversations, really. But when we have these conversations, they can come across as quite doom and gloom. So 
some experts are saying there's a lot to be optimistic about as well. So I want to know from you, what are you optimistic about as we dive into the new year? Gosh, you know, I think the world is in a very tough place, not only from an economic perspective, but from also a humanitarian perspective. And I think often when we talk about the economy, you know, we center the discussions at a very high level because I want to center people in the economy. I want an economy to function well enough so that nobody gets left behind, Mm. that jobs are created, inequality is being reduced, and the quality of life of people is felt and people see it as well because there's no point in in an economy growing by 5 or 10%, whereas people don't feel the growth translating into an improvement in their ordinary lives. Mm. So you asked me about the outlook for this year. This is quite difficult (laughs) because I'm taken back to the days of the COVID pandemic when 2020 started. Nobody saw that a pandemic was going to be so disruptive, not only from a health perspective, but also an economic perspective. But there are good news, especially in South Africa. Uh, We are starting to see inflation coming down. So that means that the cost of living is starting to reduce somewhat even though you can argue that I don't feel inflation reducing when it comes to my affordability standards or when I go to the grocery store, I don't see me paying less for food, but it is a fact. Inflation is starting to reduce. Now, with inflation reducing, the Reserve Bank will now start to move to reduce interest rates. Remember, from November 2021, the Reserve Bank has been increasing interest rates quite a lot to reduce the inflation rate. Now, we are starting to see that evidence of those interest rates starting to have a positive impact in reducing consumer inflation. So I think 2024 will be a year in which interest rates will start to come down, the cost of living will start to ease, and hopefully a lot of people will feel that from an affordability perspective, their lives are getting somewhat better. I can already hear my bank account cheering in the background. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? From your lips to the Reserve Bank governor's ears, uh, you know, Reserve Bank governor, that is. Transnet is tanking, and with it, any possibility of capitalizing on growing instability across major shipping routes. But plans are being made, and Transnet could become a port of choice. But not for another five years, at least. So you touched a bit on the trade routes and logistics matter as well. And I kind of want to delve into that a little bit more in detail, because another major issue that will and already is having a global impact is trade and trade routes. We've seen increased attacks by the Houthis in the Red Sea in retaliation to the war in Gaza and also to an extent to what's happening in Yemen. And that's had a huge impact on cargo moving through the region, with many ships having had to find alternative routes. And then this has resulted in the Suez Canal also becoming overly congested with this influx of additional ships leading to massive backlogs. But, and this is a big plus for us, those same cargo ships could now be making their way to South African ports. The big question is, keeping Transnet in mind and the fact that it's in a terrible state at the moment, are our local ports up to handling 
this additional traffic at all? The short answer is no. And mm. I'll tell you why, because disruptions to the Spice Canal also happened, I think, back in 2021, when a ship docked and there was major blockages there. And even back then in 2021, Transnet didn't take advantage of the many ships that are being rerouted. This time, it will be another missed opportunity by Transnet. The reason why is that Transnet and, and the ports it manages across South Africa do not have sufficient capacity to take on cargo or containers that are being rerouted. Over many years, Transnet has not unleashed many investments to expand its port terminals to be able to take on more cargo. In fact, that work is only being done now when it should have been done five to 10 years ago. So Transnet does not even have port equipment such as cranes that are used to load or offload containers. So even though ships were to be rerouted into South Africa, Transnet just does not have the capacity or infrastructure or equipment to be able to take on more container volumes. I mean, South Africa's ports are ranked among the world's worst in terms of efficiency. So again, Transnet and South Africa's ports are being left behind. In fact, more containers are being rerouted in Mozambique and other African countries as well. Transnet is definitely on course to becoming the new SAA or the new ESCOM. Basically, it's it's destined to collapse. And I'm just wondering, is there a way that Transnet can pick up the pieces quickly enough to capitalize on the instability in the Middle East or is that just wishful thinking on my part? You know, to Transnet's credit and the government's credit, you know, there is a recognition that Transnet has to be fixed. So we are now starting to see Transnet embracing the private sector and bring the private sector along when it comes to running ports, because there is a recognition that Transnet does not have the capacity from a skills and financial perspective. And the, the bad news, I don't need to be the Grinch here, <laughs> but the bad news is that whatever work that's been done right now to fix Transnet, we might only see the benefits come through over the next five to 10 years. So the damages at Transnet didn't happen overnight. It happened over a very long period through the state capture years and now. So all of that work to fix the, the historical problems is being done now, but we can only see the benefit in years to come. Election season is upon us, and a myriad of political parties are at the ready to try and convince voters to vote for them. But it's one thing making pretty promises. Delivering on those is a different matter. And don't even get us started on the possibility of a national coalition government. On to election season, and it's in full swing with rallies and we have manifestos that are being released. Rise and Zanzi has released theirs this past weekend. And as is always the case around elections, there are many lofty promises, which means we should all take those promises with a few grades of salt. What will you be listening out for? I'll be looking out for proposals by the political parties on how they plan to fix and grow South Africa's economy. Because whatever jobs promises they make, whatever inequality reduction promises that they make, without economic growth, there won't be any jobs to be created. So I'll be looking forward to 
an audit and diagnosis by the political parties of what is wrong with South Africa's economy, not only pointing to the problems, but also putting forward measures on how to fix these problems. In terms of the election outcomes, a lot of people have almost made up their minds saying we're definitely entering coalition government. It's almost a given. How much is riding on the outcomes of this year's elections? Investors, you know, and economic observers are quite nervous about coalition politics at a national scale because at a local government scale, coalitions have been quite disruptive, especially in in Joburg, where decisions making has come to a standstill as a result of mayors coming in and out. It's been a revolving door of mayors in Joburg. So investors are quite nervous about the implications of a coalition government at a national scale. Will this make decision making hard? Will it frustrate the decision making process when it comes to governance, policy making, policy implementation? And we've seen that unfortunately our politicians are not yet mature enough to be able to successfully manage coalition politics. So imagine coalitions at a national scale. I think that's quite scary, Lazan. It is frightening. I've said that last year in some of our (laughs) other conversations as well, that if you just look at what's happening in Joburg, Mm. I just cannot fathom how it's going to work on a national scale. Imagine, you know, motions of no confidence being brought against a sitting president resulting in us having four presidents in five years. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I get told, actually. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> The year is young, but already our constitution has once again shown why it's considered one of the best in the world. We also celebrate women who have taken it upon themselves to change their fate, their communities and, dare we say, the world. As always, we make a point of ending the show on a positive note. The first one that's been greatly celebrated by activists across the country is the recent court order essentially telling the Department of Home Affairs that, you know what, you can't just block people's IDs just because you suspect there might be something dodgy going on. And it's it's not even a case of, oh, this is a fake document or you, you gained entry into the country illegally. It's simple things like, I remember I read about a case of a mother tried to register her child's birth but because it was registered under someone else and not the biological father, then suddenly her ID got blocked and the child's ID got blocked and suddenly you can't access healthcare, you can't vote, you can't send your child to school, you can't open up bank accounts, all of that. So the, the implications are vast. And I'm so happy that the the courts once again showed that, you know, our constitution defends those who are most vulnerable. So we start the year off on a very healthy note in terms of the constitution, and that just makes me very happy. And I hope we continue that trend going forward. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I cannot imagine living without a valid ID. You, you, you essentially become invisible. But anytime the courts check on government, 
government and you know make a court ruling on accountability and directing the government on a good path i become excited about that because we know that home affairs often does not have the capacity the right people we often hear about awful service delivery stories coming out of home affairs so whenever the courts check on power and enforce accountability i think as a nation we should be proud and then just to end things off i just want to quickly focus on the ladies of africa first off we had a group of south african women behind the rebag reuse initiative that recently won a stevie award for women in business it's an international award for their crochet bags so they basically take these bread bags and they cut them into strips and then they make these beautiful products and then they sell them and this team of 15 ladies use the money that they get from these sales to assist other organizations including old age homes in the communities the NSBCA i mean it's just wonderful to see that and then another woman that also just inspired me is Edith Santian from Kenya. She's taken it upon herself to reforest parts of Kenya, not just with regular trees, but with fruit trees. And the reason she's doing this is not just to combat deforestation and soil erosion, but also to enable the women in those communities to take this fruit and sell that and therefore enriching themselves and their communities. So I know I'm biased, but I strongly believe women are the future. <laughs> women are not only the future, but I would dare say that women make better leaders than men. And I'm not going to yes. cite I'm not going to cite any evidence. I don't have any. It's just based on anecdotal personal experience. Now those two cases are true cases of women empowerment. Amen to that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, our first whole week wrap for 2024 comes to an end. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today, Ray. Thanks so much for joining us, and yeah, I'll see you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms.